Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, July 30th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 101, the first full paragraph that begins, We Meet These. Um, Today's readers are Cassandra on the 12 Steps, Elizabeth D. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Michelle H., Deb W., and Rakafet. The reference number for yesterday, July 29th, is 6700. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Cassandra to read the 12 steps. Good morning, visionaries. This is Cassandra H., a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him, to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will, 
for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Cassandra. I will now ask Elizabeth D. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Elizabeth D., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into a public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based upon attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Elizabeth D. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the direction in the big book means to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 101, the first full paragraph beginning with, 
we meet these conditions every day. And um, I will ask Michelle H. to read two paragraphs for us. Thank you. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Thanks for your service, Kathy. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic can, who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. His only chance for sobriety would be some place like the Greenland ice cap, and even there an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. Ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory he would escape the alcohol problem. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation, is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. And so in reading these two chapters, um, it speaks to me of the contrast, um, you know, when I'm working with uh, a newcomer, um, taking someone through the steps, contrasting the difference between um, abstinence, which I've often referred to and heard referred to and experienced myself, that stark raving abstinence, um, where I'm trying to shield myself from food and um, trying to, you know, diet and thinking that's my solution versus um, what it is to be recovered. Uh, where I don't need to shield myself from the food any longer because I'm relying on a power greater than myself. And and I can use my own examples when, of what it was like for me um, that when I can't meet these conditions, then, um, you know, I haven't worked these steps. I still have an alcoholic mind. The obsession is still there um, because there's something the matter with my spiritual status, my spiritual condition, um, which the steps, um, are there to help me to develop that uh, fit spiritual condition, um, that relationship with a higher power, relying on a power greater than myself. So if I'm, I'm trying to shield myself from the food, which I did, I remember telling my sponsor that um, I had my husband lock all the junk food in the house in the refrigerator in the basement. I remember her laughing, and I, I couldn't understand why she was laughing. I just thought it was a brilliant idea. But this was where I was. I was trying to shield myself um, I was and, and I was doomed to a bigger explosion, which which is what happened. Um, that didn't stop me from getting the food um, because there I hadn't gone through the steps. I hadn't. I was still relying on my own power, my self will. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed, and you know nothing is impossible with my higher power. Um, but it was impossible for me because I was powerless. I am powerless over food, and I need to rely on a power greater than myself by going through these steps, and especially the action steps four through nine, you know, that's what's going to bring, you know, relieve me of that mental obsession. Um, I'm always going to have the alcoholic mind. <clears throat> the obsession um, is removed on a daily basis as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition, doing 10, 11, and 12 every day. And I'll end with I'm reminded of page, the bottom of page 84 as a recovered person, you know, having um, – being brought to step 10, it says, um, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. And so when sanity returns, 
then the obsession cannot take me hostage any longer, and <clears throat> and I am able to um, have sane thoughts, clear thinking, and again, that mental obsession um, has been removed by practicing these steps and continuing to take a look at my spiritual status, my spiritual condition on a daily basis. That I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle H. Who would like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Rita. Okay, I heard. And this is Paula. Okay, let's see if I can get them. Kim, um, I think I heard Raquel, is that right? Rita. Linda and Paula, and there was somebody else. Larry? Bella. Larry. Okay, yes, it was Bella. Okay. Katie F. Okay, and Katie F. Okay. So what I have here is Kim, Linda, Paula, Bella, Larry, and Katie F. And we'll start with Kim. Thank you. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And the excitement of these two paragraphs is very palpable with all people wanting to jump in. I'm going to jump in on that line that says, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. And what is them? That's going into bars and restaurants. You know, if, if we're in this program for three, four, five years and we can't walk into a bakery or walk down a certain aisle in a um, grocery store, that, that's a danger sign. Because we have to be real clear that we have a twofold illness. Okay? We have this allergy of the body, which is once we ingest the food, we have what's called a phenomenon of craving where our body demands more and more. So there's an incredible freedom in not triggering that allergy. That's when we're two, three weeks out, we're abstinence, we're, sleep, we're sleeping a little bit better, our minds are a little bit clearer, we're, we're able to understand people better. And there's an amazing freedom in that. And I remember many times sharing, oh, God's removed the obsession. God hasn't done squat at that point. I haven't worked a single step. What I'm feeling is the freedom from the allergy. And if that's all the work that I do, if I just do that, then I'm not going to be able to walk into a bakery or down a certain aisle or go to a certain event because I am going to be still the victim of the obsession. The obsession of the mind is the greater aspect of my disease. So if you're two, three, four weeks out, two months out, two years out, and you want that food more than anything, and you're using the fellowship and the tools as your only defense against that first bite, that has to do with the fact that you haven't done the steps. You haven't had that spiritual awakening. So you still have an alcoholic mind. And yesterday was a wonderful example on the meaning of freedom. Freedom. The miracle of Overeaters Anonymous today isn't that I have enough willpower, that I have a fellowship, that I have tools, that I can beat the beast down one more day and resist the temptation to eat. The miracle of Overeaters Anonymous is I walk through these steps, I have a spiritual awakening, and I don't want the food. I don't want it. I can go anywhere on this earth. There's neutrality. That's the biggest gift, neutrality. And I think to myself, you know, I'm up and ready for work today, and I've washed my hair and brushed my teeth and shaved my legs, and I also made my lunch and had that prep. And there's no more emotion in preparing my lunch as there was in shampooing my hair. Of course I have to do food prep. Of course I have to make sure I have what I need in there 
the same way that I need to make sure I have enough toothpaste in the house and I have enough shampoo in the house. Because I have neutrality around the foods, that is freedom. If you cannot do that, even if you've been asking for years and you cannot do that, recognize that you still have an alcoholic mind. And if you walk through these steps, you do not need to be tortured in the food because my experience is I was a slave to the food as much in abstinence as I was in my, in my disease because the food ruled my day whether I was eating it or whether I was trying to avoid it. So think, let's think real clearly on that. An alcoholic who cannot meet these conditions still has an alcoholic mind. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Linda, please go ahead. Hi, uh, my name is Rita. I think you heard Oh, I'm Linda. sorry, Rita. Hi, I just want to do a brief share. I'm Rita, a compulsive overeater, um, working towards my recovery. Uh, for years, for years, for years, I was looking for a cure. I, I, I mean, I didn't know that God was my cure, that I had to contact him. And I thought, you know, when I moved from Florida to Nova Scotia, there I was going to be cured. Well, I was here 12 years and I wasn't cured. I, was, I went to every single self-help thing to be cured. I stayed away from things. I had my husband hide food at, only to be up in the middle of the night. And one night he'd find me on the countertop and I couldn't get down telling him I was cleaning. That's how crazy I was. And I... Um, realize that nothing but nothing will work unless I go through God. And now today I can say that's not my food. It doesn't bother me. Uh, I'm so grateful for that, not calling me, like making my breakfast, wondering what I'm going to do for lunch, for dinner, what I'm going to eat at Aunt Sadie's house, what I'm going to do at that wedding, how I'm going to handle this. It was constant, and I used to say, Oh, I used to go to those meetings. These meetings take less time than the productive time I thought I was spending trying to see how I was going to work around food, how much I could do, how much I could get away with. Um, when was I going to do my next thing? How long was I going to stay abstinent? How long would it last this time? I never got into any steps. I was never sorry because I never did anything wrong. And until I got to the point where I can get up and this morning I get up, God, I'm a compulsive overeater and I know it. I know that I can't handle this day or have victory over it without you in my life. And that works for me. And I thank God every day that it does. Because before I got up, okay, I'm writing my breakfast down. Okay, I can't wait for lunch, can't wait for dinner. No more. I don't have to live. I don't have to be afraid of going down aisles, afraid of going places. I'm so, so grateful that I don't have to live in that pain anymore. And with that, I'll pass, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Rita. Paula, please go ahead. And thank you, and thank you, Kathy. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsible Rita. I'm going to zero in on this line. If the alcoholic tries, and try I did, to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, and that also I did, but he usually and this also winds up with a bigger explosion than ever because I try to do it myself, to try to shield himself whatever way that I could. Well, I won't go there, and I won't do that, and I won't have this in the house. Oh, no, no, no. The first line said, we meet these conditions every day. This is life. These things are part of life. 
I want to run parallel on the back of the book here on page 567. When I read this, I lived it. What often take, takes place. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. That's the way I try to work it. With few exceptions, and here the answer for me, it is called the awakening, my spiritual awakening experience. They have tapped an unsuspected inner resource. It was within me. I didn't know it was there. A source of aid or support which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. So today, yes, I can go anywhere. I can be any place. Today, I understand what flow means. I understand what to live life means. I am recovered. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Bella, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful, recovered, compulsive overreader. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, I love these two paragraphs. In our belief, yes, according to my belief, this is the way I, I act. And before program, my belief was that, yes, I am overreader. You know, everybody saw it, and yes, I saw it too, and I knew it, but I knew that I am in control. I have the willpower. I am connected to my ego. Yes, and if I will not go to all those places, I will not go to all those places that remind me a kind of food, I will, I will not eat them. This is my power. This is my way I used to believe. And yes, it doomed to failure. Yes, of course. It was good for one day, maybe for one week, maybe for one month. But it never, I never could continue because life goes on. And I was connected to my ego. I was in a fight. I was in a war 24-7. Thank God, thank God I am now in the program so I change my belief. Yes, I have a different belief. And my belief today is that I am connected to a higher power, to a power of love, acceptance, respectful, and a loving power. Yes, today I accept and admit that I am a compulsive overeater. I am powerless, and I am connected to a power that it's a power of love, a power of acceptance. And yes, I am connected to God 24-7. And yes, today, thank you, God, I live in freedom. I live in freedom. Yes, I can go through all those places when I know that I am not going by myself. I am going together with God. Yes, I am today in in a spiritual status. I I don't have the power to control, 
No, not at all. And I am not looking anymore for this power. I look now for the power of a higher power than myself, a power of acceptance and love. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Larry, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, Larry, recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Thanks for your service. Um, you know, it, it just strikes me for some good things this morning. What is an alcoholic mind? You know, I look at it from a, a practical sense. You know, my alcoholic mind was characterized by a number of things. You know, there was the errors in my thinking and my judgment, you know, um, emotional instability, blocked off from emotional intimacy, you know, severe mood swings. I, I had the inability to, inability to deal with adversity, you know, totally disorganized, although I looked good on paper. Inability to be present, you know, to be fully present, regular displays of anger directed towards others, you know, the blame game, that was my favorite game to play. Um, controlling everything, again, more control, tighter control. If I control everything, then I won't fear. That was a bunch of uh, BS. Um, thin skin, oversensitivity, frustration with people when they didn't behave the way I wanted them to, the way they should. Lying, manipulation, you know, unrealistic expectations of others. You know, I, I deferred from my obligations on a regular basis. You see, something was wrong with my thinking. Yet this disease and, and all its manifestations prevented me from seeing it. You know, and why was that? You know, this paragraph makes it really clear for me. There was something wrong with my spiritual status. You know, I, I was blocked off from this power. As long as I remain blocked off from God, I would continue to be a slave to this, this mindset, to, the, to these, these behaviors, to this thinking. You know, my, my paradigm of thinking, I would continue to be tethered like to a peer of, of hopelessness. And I, and I would have zero chance to break free from the prison of this disease. And no geographic solution would work. No food plan would work. You know, I talk to people every day. Every day God gives me people to talk to. It's such a blessing. And tighter control, tighter control. What do you eat? What do you do? You know what? I could teach you. If I was a brain surgeon, I could give you books on brain surgery. I could show you videos of brain surgery. I could talk about it. You could try to rationalize what that is. But if you've never done brain surgery, which I've never done, um, you you wouldn't know experientially what that feels like. So we can talk about the spiritual awakening as the result of working these steps. Yeah, that's what's happened to me. But if it hasn't happened to you, and it can't, it's so easy to, 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 to work. It's not easy to work the steps, but it's a simple program. It's not rocket science. I mean, I was able to get through it. it, it anybody could get through it. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to get through it perfectly. But, you know, I used to think, boy, I used to watch the, the show, you know, The Biggest Loser. And I would think, if I could be on that show, that would help me to stay stopped, to lose this weight. Not not a person of, of with my alcoholic mind, not of my variety, sorry. My bitter experience has proven to me that nothing but a complete psychic change would enable me to escape this this alcoholic problem. 
and thank God for the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. <clears throat> and Katie F., please go ahead. Are you there, Katie? Press star one. Yes, I'm here. Sorry. Um, okay, good morning. I'm Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, you know, it's it's always hard to be the fifth or sixth person to comment on the same paragraph, but I just want to emphasize um, this sentence. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sixth man man from temptation is doomed to failure. Um, this is not saying that we can continue to eat our binge foods and our trigger foods if we're recovered. If we don't get to, we don't graduate and get to go back to eating in moderation, which was my goal. My, that was my goal, was that I would lose the weight and then I would be able to go back and eat like normal people, quote, normal people. Um, however, can I make the foods, my binge foods, for my, the others in my family without um, salivating and without, you know, just white knuckling to not lick my fingers? Yes, I can. And for me, that happened overnight. I had been in OA for a long time, for, for many years, several years. And I heard that it was possible to have immunity with food, and God catapulted me overnight into neutrality with food. And I no longer wanted the foods that the day before I could not stop popping into my mouth. And that was my experience. That is not everyone's experience. But um, I was in a position where I had to be around food, and, you know, I can see, I could see even two years later why that was necessary, where my life went in recovery. I needed to have that immediate neutrality. And I'm telling you, it's like I got divorced. I got divorced from the food, and I no longer had any desire for that food. And so if you, you know, are alive and your eyes are open and you're awake, you're going to be around food. You're going to be around food that you cannot eat. There is just no escaping it. But I don't have to, you know, hold my breath, um, avoid the mall where they have, you know, the, the food uh, that they cook. They actually blow it out into the mall so you will smell it. And I'm, I'm able to go to those places. And I don't think, oh, I wish I could just have one. I just, just one. I just want one. I don't think that way today. And that is not me being smart and figuring out that if I have one, I'm going to want 200. That is, has nothing to do with it because I knew that. I knew how to work this program. I knew what I needed to do, and I could not do it. It takes a power greater than myself. And um, that's what this is saying, that you cannot shield your newcomer in such a way that, and think that that is what is going to make them abstinent. It's just, you know, changing their environment. Um, treatment centers are great, but there are also people who walk out of treatment centers and walk straight to the bakery. It is a psychic change, as Larry said. It is an inside job. 
And if my insides are completely changed, then it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I will not be tempted to pick up the food. Um, and if we try to make it so that, you know, there's no temptation ever in your life, you're just going to be miserable. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, KDF. Um, would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs before we move on? Okay, I heard um, Leia, and who else? Janice. Janice and Michelle. Michelle. And Jenica. And who else? Jenica. Jenica. Okay, so I hear Leia, Janice, Rochelle, and Jenica. Anybody else? Okay, Leia, please go ahead. Thanks so much, Kathy Kay, for your service. Yeah, I just wanted to focus in again on that statement, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. And I just wanted to use the text for a minute to illustrate that alcoholic mind. You know, back in 20, on page 24, prior to God consciousness, when we're still living in self-centered existence, uh, this is how it's described. Page 24, uh, The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Again, that is an illustration, a description of a mind prior to God consciousness. What happens as a result of these steps, specifically steps four through nine when applied? Well, we end up on page 84. Look at how the mind is described at that point on the bottom. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. See, we're no longer in combat. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We are seldom We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We we react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. So (laughs) you can see the transformation of the mind here, and that is as a result of the program of recovery. The main problem of ours rests in our mind, not our intellect, but our values, our beliefs, our ideas. The 12 steps wakes us up (laughs) to the spirit that resides within all of us. So this isn't about stopping drinking for the alcoholic. This is about staying stopped. How does that occur? That occurs when we apply this process of recovery to our lives. You know, so that is the whole program of recovery is this transformation of our minds from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. How is that accomplished? It's accomplished through these steps. What if we could find a way to live where our mind doesn't lock on that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by eating our binge foods? <laughs> what if we could find a way to live like that? And you know what? We can, and we have. And that process is called recovery. And that's what this is about, implementing these steps to be recovered. 
freedom is not free. It does take this transformation as a result of these steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Janice, please go ahead. Um, good morning. Thank you, uh, Kathy, and thanks, everybody. Um, this is Janice, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Okay, I'm going to go back a little bit. Uh, I'm mostly interested in the schemes, the schemes of combating alcoholism, which which shield us. First of all, this is step 12. So I know from my experience, now this is only ex- my experience, that I am beyond human aid. Why do I know that? Well, I went to the fellowship, the rooms, not not the vision for you because we're a big book study. In the fellowship, you know, they try to shield me from the food. This is what I heard anyway. This is my experience. You know, do service. Now, that doesn't mean step 12. This means service, you know, putting up the chairs and doing that, the, the coffee. And those things are good. But they were trying to tell me that service, that type of service in the fellowship was slimming. That I, you know, I, I'd be okay if I do service. Or like was mentioned, the tools. Don't mention food because you might, you know, get unrecovered or you might eat. Um, those are the things that the humans, and, you know, the fellowship is wonderful. I can't live without the fellowship. But, you know, uh, these are the schemes. These are the methods. These are the, the battles uh, that they try to shield me from. And, it, and it's not the solution to removing the obsession. It's just not. I never found it in decades, you know. Um, they used to say, um, oh, it's not the, you know, it's the meetings you make. And I know today, through my experience, it's not the meetings, the number of meetings I make, but it's the steps I take. That's what removes this prison, this obsession in my mind. It's not the meetings. It's not a sponsor. It's not the food. It's not. It's the obsession is removed because that's the second part of my, my, my malady. The obsession of the mind is transformed. Now I'm free. I'm not in the prison. My mind isn't in the prison to enjoy the freedom of not having that obsession. You know, I used to think, um, yeah, well, if my kitchen was in a different position, this is how crazy, uh, if my kitchen was in a different position as I entered the house, maybe I wouldn't eat. Maybe I'd get recovered. You know, uh, that sort of crazy, crazy uh, schemes. Um, but it didn't work. See, it didn't work. The only thing that worked that gave me freedom from the obsession of the mind, that I can go to Greenland, I can go on a trip, I can go in, I can do anything, I can go to the market, um, because God has given me this gift, not any human being. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Uh, Rochelle, please go ahead. Press star one, Rochelle. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, so I want to thank you for your service and everybody on the line. I'm Rochelle, recovered food addict, and I am looking at this book and I'm saying to myself, I remember when my sponsor had an argument with me and said, if you don't think you're a food addict, then just go out and eat the food and see if you can stop yourself. Just go and see if you just test. 
You know, so I look at the sentence, if the alcohol tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with, bigger, with a bigger explosion than ever. Well, for me, that was exceedingly important because if I didn't have the biggest explosion, I wouldn't be here today because I needed to be able to see for myself, clear in my face, yes, stop the excuses, Rochelle, you're a food addict, and uh, you can't get away from it. And it was that experience of uh, having what I considered the biggest binge in my life, which sent me into surrender and made it possible for me to recover. So um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. And Jenica, please go ahead. Jenica? Yeah, hi, this is Jenica. Um, I just wanted to share my experience with trying to um, have a solution that was more like removing myself or something from the situation rather than going into the spiritual solution, which was I liked to um, choose foods to cut out of my diet and um, thinking that, oh, well, if I just avoid this food, then I won't. You know, that's the food that I overeat, so I won't, uh, I won't overeat, and that would be the solution. And... Um, what I ended up doing was just kind of switching from food to food or constantly adding more forbidden foods to my diet and then thinking it had worked but inevitably having it, you know, having to scramble and be like, oh, no, that didn't work, and now I have to refigure out. must be a different one. Um, and what I have learned in, in recovery is that actually um, trying to avoid my problems with food is like trying to avoid myself um, because they stem from issues that are uh, about things that are going in on inside of me. And if I just try to, uh, just try to ignore the problems with food, if I just try to, to find something that will make it so that food is not a problem in my life, then, um, then I'm actually, I'm essentially ignoring what is going on inside of myself. I'm, I'm keeping myself far away from that, whatever's going on. And, uh, and that's the root of the depression that comes from compulsive overeating. So even if for a time I can switch food and, and cut something out of my life and have it work for a little bit, I'm cutting myself off from some part of myself, and that's why the explosion the eventual explosion happens because I am I'm essentially starving my, you know, my emotional self for, in, in a way when I'm not when I'm just trying to avoid um, my my feelings. Um, so that's all I have to say, and I'll pass. Thank you, Jenica. Um, Deb W, would you read the next paragraph for us, please? Yes, this is Deb W., a recovered compulsive eater in Oklahoma. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking. If we have a legitimate reason for being there, that includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. To a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence. But it isn't. And, you know, we 
cannot live on this earth without uh, living uh, and including activities such as those things listed. And 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 uh, I don't think it was ever meant for us to just, you know, go in a closet and shut the door. Um, if we are in fit spiritual condition, these things are things that we can continue to do. We, in fact, the book teaches us how to have relationships and how to live. Uh, so that, that is not the intent, but the deal of it is there were times that I had to be very careful uh, while I was working uh, to get through the spiritual awakening I had to be careful some of the places I went to, the smells and the, the the heaps of food and the people that were eating and eating and eating. It did affect my comfort level. However, the, part, the, the words I wanted to focus on is um, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. And that has already been mentioned, um, the promises on, 84, um, that um, getting through the, to the spiritual awakening that we get, they are automatic, they come. And, you know, each and every one of those promises are real in my life today, uh, dependent on that I stay in fit spiritual condition. Um, uh, if I am struggling, if I am considering myself recovered, and I'm still and I'm struggling, uh, white knuckling it. Then the spiritual part is where I need to go. Um, that's why we live in ten and eleven and twelve for any of the uncomfortable things that come into our life. If I'm not uh, in this in the promises, I'm still uh, living, trying to uh, uh, live and function with that alcoholic mind. Um, you know, it reminds me again of the meetings I go to where so many of us who have settled that this is um, the best that it gets. Um, we're, we're, we're burdened with uh, obesity still. We're happy to not be in the sugar any longer or making the meetings and opening the door and you know, uh, doing the footwork, but we we we're missing we're missing the full uh, value that we get from this program if we are uh, working and and living the promises. So um, yeah, it isn't uh, tempting providence because we are have a a power that is greater than ourselves that is carrying us uh, day to day. And we're no longer having to succumb to the disease. We're no longer having to succumb to the control that we tried to do it ourselves before because we have a power greater than us. And that's all I have to share. Thank you. Thank you, Deb W. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Sally M. I am. Oh, my. Um, I heard Sally. And who else? Patty M. Leanne. Hiya. Patty M. Hiya. And who else? Leanne. Leanne. Anybody else? Okay. I think we will be able to. Who's that? I'm sorry. Devora. Devora. Okay. Thank 
Okay, let's see how we do. We may not be able to hear from everyone, and we'll begin with Sally. Go ahead, Sally. Thank you, Kathy. Good morning, a vision for you. Uh, this is Sally A., a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. So in this paragraph, they're letting us know that any shield, any scheme rather of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. And I, when I read this, I think, wow, I mean, how could I possibly be shielded from myself, really? I mean, the real problem is inside me. Um, I'm a very visual person, so for a long time I started to, when I first became recovered, I started to sort of equate my disease with having some kind of a monster that lives inside me that I put to sleep in the process of stopping the, uh, stop feeding the allergy of my body when I stop putting things into my body like peanut butter and and the different forms of sugar and and all the different types of flour. When I stopped putting these things into my body, I put this monster within me to sleep. And I pictured this thing to be sort of like, you know, some kind of a a horribly scary wolf-like dog. And I I didn't want to ever tap the thing. I never wanted to play with its nose when it was asleep. I didn't want to play with its tail. I didn't want to play with this horrible animal within myself. And the way I would play with it was what I would tempt myself. I would tease my taste buds with all kinds of my loving favorite diet sodas and all kinds of flavored coffees that that somehow came under the the the, you know, they came under the auspices of those were safe foods, but they weren't. I was teasing my taste buds all the time with some of these things that I consider to be legal or safe. I was, I was playing with the tail of this animal within, and nothing could shield me. And how many times did I break my abstinence because I was still playing with the enemy? I was still good friends with this horrible old buddy, this horrible relationship that I had with food that was really not a healthy relationship. And so I finally put down the food in all of its many different temptations and its 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 types of, of even safe things. You know, diet soda might have been safe for a long time, but it really wasn't safe for me. It wasn't. It wasn't okay for me. It was. It was teasing my taste buds with diet root beer, diet orange soda. I remember how I used to tease myself, my tease my taste buds with these things. And and perhaps some of you can handle it. I know I could not handle these things. And so, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. It you know it had to begin with me putting down the food. Nobody could help me. I couldn't I couldn't make deals with my children. I did that for years in OA. You know I came into OA in 1982. For years I would tell my kids, "Don't let me eat that." And if I beg you to have it, say no. That didn't work. That was so stupid that I even tried that because nobody could stop me. I was a ravenous animal once that food was in my body, once that allergy was triggered, once I played with that animal within. And and beyond the 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 picking up the allergy of the food, the mental obsession was another whole discussion. You know, I was obsessed once I had begun to eat. I once my taste buds were were teased appropriately, I was 
I was obsessed with what I was going to get next, what I was going to eat next. My, my idea of a portion size was when it's all gone. I never hid bottles around the house. I couldn't keep anything in my car or in my house. If it was here, I couldn't rest until it was all gone. And so when it talks about proposing schemes to shield myself, nobody could shield me. I was absolutely a ravenous animal. And if the alcoholic tries to shield himself, well, once the allergy was triggered, there was no shielding myself and nobody could shield me. And um, and so, you know, as was so appropriately put in the last person's share, that nothing, I could never control this thing. And that's what's being really talked about here is if we could control it, nothing really could control it. It really boils down to put the food down, stop teasing your taste buds, recognize you have a mental, a mental compulsion and, uh, you know, a mental, you know, aspect to this thing and treat it with the steps. And that's what they're once again reminding us in case we forgot, here we are and working with others, in case you forgot the, the mind and the, the body aspects that, that it's not going to, nothing's going to help you do that except put the food down, treat the mental obsession with the steps. And thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Thank you, Sally. Um, Patty M., go ahead, please. So I want to unmute Patty. Hello, this is Patty M. from California. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, and you'll be our last share. Okay. Um, so in this whole uh, paragraph here. It says, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. I am a hairdresser and I work in a shop where they keep sweets in the back area of our shop for the clients. And um, they have all kinds of sweets. I could not walk past it without digging into that sweet thing. And then I would proceed to go in the bathroom and eat it so that no one would see me. I would throw wrappers into the toilet. And, you know, I didn't even think, it didn't even occur to me that I could clog their toilet and, you know, wreck their place. All I cared about was eating. Those things are still out there. They, they are not sh shielded from me. And because I'm recovered today, I can walk past there and none of that stuff calls to me. I can take that stuff and put it away at the end of the day, put it into the Tupperware. None of it calls to me. I could not walk past that thing. It doesn't need to be shielded from me today. Um, today I'm free, and I'm so grateful to this fellowship and to this meeting, to the steps, to Bill W., who, who without him we wouldn't have this. Um, if we have a legitimate reason for being there, and I have a legitimate re reason for being there, I work there. Um, you know, I can't avoid my work, and every day I would eat. And today I don't have to, and that's the freedom of working the steps. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Patty. Um, uh, my apology to Haya, Leanne, and Devorah. We won't have time for your shares, but perhaps you can stay on for the second hour of our meeting. Um, it's now time to close the meeting. Um, thank you, everyone who has shared. Uh, we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Rakafet, would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggested only. Thank you, Kathy.
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.